0: Take your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 3 this morning. Revelation 3 is we come to our last church that we're considering out of these seven churches in the first two, three chapters here of Revelation. So we turn to chapter 3, considering the church at Laodicea. The point of us going through each of these letters is for Christ to examine us through these letters, because as we read these, we see that Christ isn't just examining these churches. He's not just examining Sardis and Laodicea and Philadelphia and these other churches, but in reality, he's examining all churches. So all churches can read this and see the word working in us to examine us, and so we come to these for Christ to examine Grace Baptist Church. But we don't come just for Christ to examine the church as a whole, but also for us to consider our lives because Christ isn't just examining the church, he's examining our lives. He's examining my life and your life through the word here. And so we aren't hearing these letters as letters that were written 2,000 years ago to churches that were back then. But we're hearing them as Christ speaking to us, examining us as a church, and examining us as individuals. And so we put ourselves in the shoes of these people who are hearing God's word to them. Most of these letters have a similar kind of pattern. Uh, Most of them have something to the effect that, that Jesus commends them for the work that they're doing, but then he rebukes them for some problem that's there in the church, and then he ends with some kind of hope that's offered to them. Now, some of the churches only receive commendation from Christ. And so churches like the, the church at Smyrna hear the word of Christ coming to them and hearing how, how Christ exhorts them and encourages them in the midst of all the tribulations, everything that they're going through. And Christ looks at them and says, to stand firm, hold fast to the point of death. And we read these as great encouragement to us. Of how Christ looks with commendation on his people and says to hold firm. Hold fast as I walk with you through everything that you're going through. But most of the churches have this combination of commendation from Christ and rebuke that Christ gives to them. And if we're honest, I think probably this is something that we can identify with. As I would imagine for most of us in here, we can look at our lives and we can see some areas of our lives spiritually where we are doing fairly well where Christ is working and we're seeing sanctification happen, we're seeing joy in the Lord, and so we can see some of those things happening. But if we're honest, we can also, most of us, look at our lives and see some areas where we know it's not all it should be, where we can look at areas of our life and see areas that further sanctification is needed, areas where where we're struggling to walk in obedience. And so I think most of us can identify with those churches that are hearing the commendation of Christ and also the rebuke of Christ because that's probably where most of us are walking today. But today we come to a different situation. We come to a church where Christ has no commendation for them. Christ has no words to them of commendation for the good that they're doing. And Rather, everything that Christ tells them is a rebuke for what they're doing. And so I want us to think for just a second and ask ourselves the question, how do we handle, when we come to a text like this, how do we handle... Reading this, where Christ has nothing of of positive nature to say to them. In fact, when Jesus looks at them and says, What I see in you is so revolting that it makes me want to spew you out of my mouth. What do we do individually? And what do we do as a church when we come to passage like this? What I want to encourage you to do, encourage myself, encourage us as a church to do, is to hold ourselves up, hold ourselves up to the light of this text so that Christ will examine us through this text in our lives. Have you ever held something up to the light to make sure that it's clean? At our our house, we we have a set of glasses that we've had since when we got married. And to be honest, I actually hate this set of glasses that we have because they just won't come clean in the dishwasher for whatever reason the way it's shaped or whatever so half the time when they come out of the dishwasher they have like gunk down at the bottom and I'm really particular about my dishes there's nothing that kind of makes me kind of shudder and quiver it's like having dirty dishes and finding it after I've already eaten so one of the worst things when you have a glass of milk and having your cookies and you get down to the bottom of the glass and you see all this crust down at the bottom that just makes me sick and so one of the things that we have learned to do because of these glasses that i really like to just throw away, that's what we should do. What I, we have learned to do is make sure every time we pull them out of the dishwashers, we have to look at them closely. And it's not enough just to pick it up and glance at it, but I actually have to take it, hold it up to the light, and look. Because there have been too many times that my cookies and my milk have gotten messed up with the stuff in the bottom of the glass. And here's the reality. Here's the reality is that what we are to do spiritually is much what I have to do with those glasses. We have to hold ourselves up to the light of Scripture. Hold ourselves up to the light of Scripture so that Scripture shines into our lives. Because what will happen is if we're not careful, we will miss the junk that's in our life. We will miss the true state of our lives if we rely on our own feelings, our own thoughts in looking at our life. So we need texts like we're reading this morning, so that we hold ourselves up to hold ourselves up to the light of that text. Pray, Spirit, shine in me. Show me how I am like this, so that God, by His work, burns in us through the Spirit to show us the sin that's within. And so, what I want to challenge you in, and I want to challenge myself in, is that for you to read this, for you, you to hear the Word of Christ to the church at Laodicea, and for you to hold yourself up to it, to let the Holy Spirit, the word of the Lord, pierce into the depth of the recesses of your soul to see the reality of what's there. So let's, let's do that. Let's hold ourselves up to the light of the word this morning. All right, so a little background as we get started here church at Laodicea. Laodicea is one of the wealthiest of the cities that all that we have talked about, these seven cities. Laodicea is perhaps the wealthiest of them. It was situated at the crossroads of of two major roads that went through that area. And so because of that, they had tons of Commerce and money pouring into their city. In fact, they were so wealthy that when an earthquake came through at around AD 60, leveling part of the city, they said, we can build this back and we'll build it back better than it was before. They looked at the Roman Empire and said, we don't need your money. We can do it ourselves. And they actually built the city bigger and better than it was before because of the vast amount of wealth that they had. And so here we have this church in the midst of this extremely wealthy city, Laodicea. We don't know a whole lot about the church, but what we do know is that God has raised up in the midst of that city a group of believers, a group of believers who are following after Christ in the midst of the wealthiest city there. But the problem is, the problem is, as we look at this church, the more time went on, it seems like the more they became like the city and the less they became like Christ. And so now it's gotten to the point where Christ looks at them and says, I am coming in discipline against you because of what you are and what you've done. So with that being said, let's turn to the word and hear the word of the Lord this morning as we hear the description of Jesus as we start out the church of Laodicea. It says, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So if you remember from each of these letters that we've read, every single one of them begins with a description of Jesus. And that description of Jesus in some way plays into what Jesus is telling that church. And so here we have a description of Jesus described as the amen. And so the point here that's being made is that Jesus is the true one. What he is saying is true, and he's bringing truth to the church. But the point that is being made here is he's not just speaking truth to them, but he is speaking truth to them as a witness. And the point that's being made here is that Jesus is coming as a witness against them. So this is courtroom language of Jesus coming, the true one, presenting evidence against them for what he's getting ready to tell them. The discipline that is coming to the church at Laodicea. And so we have the true witness who now brings his rebuke to the church. So hear the word again. Verse 15 to 16. Hear what it says. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So what Jesus does here, this is, this is a passage that most of us are familiar with. We we remember this language. So what Jesus is doing here is he is using an illustration from that area. He's using an illustration of the water of that area to help them understand their own spiritual condition. So the water uh, along the river that was close by the city there was typically muddy and it wasn't the best for drinking. And so what the church at Laodicea did was they piped in water from two different areas. And so in, the, in one area to the north, only six miles to the north, there were these huge hot springs. And so hot springs that they were able to tap into. And so in these hot springs, people would flock for miles around to go to them because when they would get in the water, it would make them feel better because it had, had like healing properties, they thought. You know, if you remember, some of you, when you went to Peru with us, the place that we stayed in Peru was named Colpa. And there was nothing in Culpa except this little bitty something called a hotel and hot baths. But the really interesting thing was that people would drive from hours away, hours away to come be in these hot baths at Culpa. That that was all that was there to stay in this ramshackle hotel. Because when they would stay in those hot baths and sit in them, it would make them feel better. It had these healing kind of properties for them being in there. And so what they would do is they would pipe in the water from this six miles away to them. But the problem was is when it would get to them, it was no longer hot anymore. It would be just kind of lukewarm water. So it didn't quite have the healing properties that it once did. Now, ten miles to the east of them, there was some good cold drinking water. And so what they did was they built an aqueduct from ten miles to the east so they could have this good, refreshing cold water come to them through that aqueduct. But the problem was it traveled so far and it took so long to get there is it wasn't cold anymore. So when they got the water, they had this kind of lukewarm water that was there waiting on them. So no matter what, they weren't getting really good water, whether hot water or good cold fresh water. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's using this as an illustration to help them understand their own condition. Now for most of my life, when I've looked at this passage and read through this, my immediate thought was that Jesus was dealing with, with them, that they are spiritually lukewarm. You know, that, that, that spiritually this, they're, they're lukewarm. This is what Jesus is talking about. But I want you to take a look at what Jesus actually says there. Look at what Jesus says. He, he says, I know your what? I know your works. I know your deeds. So what Jesus is actually talking about here is the things that they're doing. The works, the deeds, the ministries that they really aren't involved in. So what Jesus is saying to them is that you're not like, you're not like those hot springs that are far off that are bringing healing to people. And you're not like that cold water that's over here that comes and brings cool refreshment to people. Basically, the works that you're doing, the deeds that you're doing, the ministries that you should be involved in are accomplishing nothing. So this is a church that, that no longer really has any impact the church that's lost all urgency for prayer. church that's, that's lost any zeal and urgency for evangelism and for reaching the city. So they're, they're not effectively ministering to one another. They're not effectively ministering to the city around them. And so this has continued for so long, so long that Jesus looks at them and says, you're, you're not accomplishing anything. You're, you're not doing anything to minister to anyone. And so because of the way it's gotten, Jesus looks at them and says, I will spit you out of my mouth. You're you're not impacting anybody. You're living for yourself. So here's the thing with Christ bringing this rebuke to the church at Laodicea. They, They don't even realize. They don't even realize that anything is wrong. They think everything's fine. So now, I, w- I want you to move on to the text with me. I want you to see how, how they see themselves. That's, that's Jesus' rebuke that he brings against them. Now, I want you to see how they see themselves, what they think. Here, here again, the word of the Lord, verse 17. For you say, this is what you say about yourself. You say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. In fact, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You say, you're You're rich. Now, there's some debate here as exactly what it is meant in when it says they say they're rich. There's some debate whether it's actually referring to actual wealth, material riches, or whether they're referring to their spiritual riches. And so I think that probably what's going on here is that both of these are meant here. So this is an incredibly wealthy city that we've already mentioned. And so a lot of the Christians here were wealthy as well. And so the reality, though, is that this would have been really very unusual for Christians during this time period because in this time, the vast majority of Christians were exceedingly poor. You remember us talking about this some over the past few weeks, that for most people who were involved in some kind of trade, some kind of job like that, you'd have to be in a trade guild to really have any opportunity to make money. But the only way you could be a part of a trade guild is if that you were part of worshiping the God of that trade guild. And if you weren't willing to do that and participate in their festivals to these gods, then you couldn't be a part of that. And so Christians, by committing to Christ alone, were automatically excluded from being a part of these trade guilds and having the jobs of those trades. But then also, they have going against them that if you're going to be a part of this society, and really if you're ever going to make it to the upper parts of the society you're going to have to swear fidelity to Caesar. You're going to have to say that Caesar is Lord. And so automatically Christians are excluded from that because they can only say that one. there is only one Lord, and that's Christ. And so the majority of Christians during this time period are exceedingly poor. But we see that the Christians here at Laodicea are not. They consider themselves to be materially wealthy. Actually exceedingly wealthy, it seems like. And so probably, probably they saw the wealth that they had as a sign of their spiritual wealth, seeing that they had physical prosperity led them to think that they had spiritual prosperity, thinking that God had blessed them in that that way. So these were people who were probably doing pretty well financially, and it's probably a church that overall was really financially secure, probably large offerings, probably all the money that they really needed so this is is how they see themselves. We're wealthy and we're spiritually wealthy. We're good. Everything is fine. Now listen to how Christ sees them. Listen again what Christ says. At At the end of verse 17, pick up again. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So whereas Jesus says that their true spiritual condition is wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked, they think that everything is fine. But Jesus says, you're actually blind to what you really are. You're not fine. You're actually desperately sick and in need of my rebuke and and repentance. But see, I don't think that this is the way the church started out. I don't think the church at Laodicea started out as lukewarm in their ministry. I think that they probably started out in the same way that most other Christians start out. They probably started out with a spiritual zeal. A zeal for Christ that overflowed into how they lived in ministry to one another and ministry to the church around them. I think they probably started out legitimately wanting to meet the needs of their city and impact their city, but over time, something happened. So the question we have to ask is what happened to this church? I think it's the same thing that happened and has happened thousands of times to churches and to individuals. Over the past 2,000 years. Over time, their zeal for Christ, their passion for the Lord faded. So the urgency for prayer became a lax approach to prayer. At one time, they were probably passionate about hearing the Word, and the Word was cutting into their lives and transforming them. But over time, they began to be complacent toward the Word. Not really an urgency for hearing the word and for being transformed the word. And the word had less and less impact on their lives. And so they didn't really hunger for it anymore. And and as those things began to fade, then naturally ministry began to fade as well. And so where they were once perhaps involved in vibrant ministry, they, they no longer were really ministering effectively to one another. Really no longer reaching the city. To the point that Jesus says, I see your works. they're they're not doing anything. They're they're lukewarm. And so probably based on what they say here, saying that they're rich and they've prospered, they don't need anything, probably what's happened to the church at Laodicea is that they have become, over time, more and more consumed by the world. So, So rather than becoming consumed with Christ like they perhaps once were, their lives over time become more and more characterized by being consumed by the world and looking like the world. So individually, everything seems to be going well for them. They, they seem to have decent jobs. They seem to be doing well financially. And the church itself seems to be doing great. Jesus, Jesus doesn't mention anything else against the church here. A lot of the churches, he mentions something about the false teaching that's going on there. Nothing about that with this church. They may have actually been a church that's really theologically standing firm. Maybe may have been a church that's known for theology, and yet it's a dead theology. It's not transforming their lives. So rather than seeing their worldliness and how they are becoming increasingly conformed to the world, they, they look and think that everything's fine. They don't see the spiritual apathy. They don't see the problems. They don't see the, the lack of ministry and zeal that's there. And so Jesus looks at them and he, he says, I will spew you out of my mouth. So what do we do? What do we do when we come to a passage like this where everything that Jesus says to them is what's wrong with the church? a, a, a continual rebuke for how they have failed in their works. Well, it's exactly what we talked about earlier. We come to a hard passage like this, or with hard words from Christ, and what we have to do is we have to take our lives and hold our lives up to the text. Hold our lives up to the text and ask the Lord to examine us by, the, by His word, by what He says, not by our feelings, not by what we think, but strictly by what Scripture says. And ask Him to do the hard work of examining us. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to give you four key truths from this passage that we can each use to examine ourselves, to hold ourselves up to the light and examine ourselves by God's Word. So first key truth that I want you to hear and want you to examine your life with is this. Number one, first, realize that it is possible for us to be deceived by our spiritual condition. It is possible for us to be deceived by our spiritual condition. You know, we look at the church at Laodicea and we think, how how can you not see this? How can you not see that you're at the point where Jesus looks at you and says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And to me, to me the most terrifying thing about reading this passage, the most terrifying thing is that they could be going through all of this and think that everything is totally fine. So here's the thing. If if that's possible for Laodicea to do that, it's also possible for me and you to be spiritually deceived. It's possible for whole churches to be spiritually deceived and miss the reality of the the spiritual poverty, spiritual apathy, the spiritual lack of works that are there because of that. See, because Scripture tells us the reality of who we are is that we miss things because of the sinful heart that we have. Jeremiah 17.9 says, Our hearts are desperately... Wicked, desperately sick. Not that we're good at discerning our hearts, but our hearts are actually sick and miss our own state. What about Satan? Satan is known as the liar, right? So his job, what he does is to seek to mislead us and cause us to miss the truth of God's word. And so we have our own heart and we have Satan out there. So it's easy for us to be deceived and miss the reality of our own spiritual condition. And so we have to start out with this truth here that if it's possible for Laodicea to be deceived it's possible for me to be deceived it's possible for you to be deceived so what we have to do is is hold our lives up to the text and ask Christ to examine us say is this me is this me is there is there would you look at me and say my works are spiritually dead that there is some spiritual death in me that's that's first truth second truth that we see from this text growing lukewarm in our works often is a result of becoming spiritually lukewarm. I I think this is something we see throughout Scripture, we see, I think, in our own lives, that growing lukewarm in our works often is a result of becoming spiritually lukewarm. So think for just a second about what Scripture says. What's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, right? That's the greatest command. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. So the greatest command that we have is to love God with all that we are. But the problem is is that once that love begins to fade in any way, then what flows out of that is a lessening zeal for him. And what flows out of that then is a lessening zeal for ministry and the work that we're to be doing. And so what happens is that over time, over time our zeal for the Lord can begin to fade. And before we know it, there's less of that pursuing of Christ and less of a true passion for Christ. That happens over time. Most of you all know that about five years ago, I went back to school to, uh, to, to work on school. And prior to that time, I was, I was generally a pretty active guy. I spent most of when I was a kid playing sports. And uh, the jobs that I did when I was growing up often were pretty active and, and pretty involved. And so for all this time, for the past years before then, I was a pretty active guy doing a lot. I didn't run because I hate running, but I did lots of other things. But when I started back to school, I I found that I was constantly either in front of a computer here or in front of a computer at home, in front of a book here or in front of a book at home. And so I really wasn't as active as I once was. And I found myself not being quite as in good a shape as I once was. Now, here's the thing, and I I think doctors can probably confirm this in here. I, I don't think any of us ever start out a point in our life saying, I would really like to have a higher heart rate. I would really like to have higher blood pressure. I'd really like to be on some more pills. I would really like to be winded going upstairs. I don't think any of us have ever gotten to that point saying, I really want to get out of shape. I want a bigger belly. I don't think that's what we do. But how does that happen? How does it happen? It happens over time, right? Over time, we, we stop giving a little less attention to what we eat. We stop giving a little less attention to the exercise that we do. And we become a little bit more complacent and sit in front of the TV a little bit more. And after a few years of doing that, you look and you think, how did this happen? I didn't used to be this way. Well, the way things work physically are also a lot of times the way things work spiritually. Nobody ever sets out and says, I think I want to love God less. I'd really like the word to work less in my life. I'd really like to pray a lot less. I'd really like it if the Spirit did less transformation in my life. I'd I'd just stay the way I am. That's that's not the way we operate, is it? We don't say those things. But it happens over time. That we start out with this strong passion for the Lord. This zeal that's driving us. Then over time, it begins to fade. And maybe, maybe there's not as much urgency as there once was. Maybe there's not as much passion for the prayer. Maybe it's not as much of the the word cutting into us and us being passionate about the word the the way we once were. And so over time we find our zeal for the Lord weakening. So that then leads to the third thing. Third truth that we need to use to examine our lives. Losing our zeal for Christ is often linked with becoming consumed with the world and the stuff of life. Losing our zeal for Christ is often linked with becoming consumed with the world and the stuff of life. I think that's exactly what we see here at the church at Laodicea. Their response is, we're rich, we're wealthy, we're fine. And Jesus' response is, you're not seeing the spiritual reality that's there. Think about how Scripture mentions this. Jesus, in the parable of the sower, you remember that one? He mentions these four different soils. What's the third one, you remember? You remember what chokes out that third one? It's the cares of the world and desire for riches. That's what Jesus says. I think if we look at the church at Laodicea, I think we see a similar thing happening there. And what tends to happen in our lives, and the older I get, the more I realize this, the more I see this in my own life. So that We tend to get busier. We tend to have more going on in our lives. And we tend to have jobs that are, are driving us, schools that are, are driving us, and, and so many things start to fill our life. And before we realize it, all the stuff that we have in this world starts filling our lives so much that, that it becomes the priority. And because it has so much pull in our life, the, the other things, seeking after the Lord and ministry, begin, begin to start fading out. We, we never seek after that. We never plan for that to happen. But it does seem to happen over time. And so before we know, before we realize it, we, we look around and this world has sucked us in like gravity and so what we're consumed with is the things of this world. And so I think as we consider this reality, we need to examine ourselves and ask ourselves, have we grown increasingly consumed with Christ or have we grown increasingly, increasingly consumed with this world? And just ask yourself real hard, honest questions about what is it that's driving your time? What is it that's driving your energy? What is it that's driving the money that you spend? What is it that's consuming you? I think the church at Laodicea demands that we hold our lives up to the word and ask ourselves to make sure that we're not going the way of Laodicea because I promise you that with Satan's work in the world and the pull of the world, this is the way that we will go if we are not careful to move toward being Laodicea. So that's the third truth. Fourth truth for us to examine our lives. The result of this loss of zeal for Christ is a life that is not driven by ministry for kingdom impact for Christ. Let me me say that again. The result of this loss of zeal for Christ results in a life that is not driven by ministry for kingdom impact for Christ. I really think when we look at the church of Laodicea, we see a church that lost its zeal for Christ. They began to be more and more consumed by the world and living for the world and the city that they were in. And so as that happened, they became less and less driven by kingdom impact. Because what was it that Jesus said that he was going to spit them out for? I I know your what? I know your works. I know your deeds. And because I see your works and your deeds and they're accomplishing nothing, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And so they became lukewarm because of that. And so the reality of my life and your life is if you are in Christ... If we are in Christ in here, then we were not created for a life of ease for ourselves for what we want. We were created to spend ourselves for God's glory. The purpose of your life is not to spend yourself for your life and for your ease and for what we want. The purpose of our lives is to spend ourselves for the glory of God, making disciples here and around the world. This is what we were created for. And so what I think we see happening is a church that slowly over time, became less and less consumed with Christ. More and more perhaps caught up in things going on in their lives and in the world around them and becoming essentially more like the world. To the point that Christ looks at them and says, because there's no ministry, there's no deeds, I will spew you out of my mouth. And So this this is the hard reality we come to when we come to a passage like this. I, I don't think any of us I don't think any of us are free from becoming Laodicea-like. That this, is, this is a tendency of the human heart of every single one of us, that, that we have to be on guard against this. But with that being said, with that being said and this being Christ's rebuke to them, we now thankfully come to the good news. The good news that we so gloriously relish in after we've read difficult things like this. So I want you to pick up your word and read with me because I want us to to see the good news. I want us to hear the love and the compassion of Christ in the midst of this. So here in verse 19 and verse 20, what it says here. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. So hear hear that for just just again. I want you to hear it. Those whom I what? Love. Now who's he speaking to here? The church at Laodicea, the ones he said he was spit out of his mouth, right? He looks at them and says, I love you. That's why I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you out of love because if you don't repent, I will spew you out of my mouth. But what I'm desiring from you and the reason I'm coming to you is because I so desperately love you so much. And so if this is me and you in here, if we we recognize Laodicea-like tendencies in us, then it is... Christ's love that is reaching out to us right now, calling us to repentance, saying, I, I come with this discipline because I love you. Those whom I love, I discipline. So he says, There, I behold, verse 20, again, pick up, follow me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with so some of you all have probably heard this preached on and taught on. and Maybe you've even seen the painting that goes along with this. Have you ever seen that? There's a painting of Jesus kind of knocking on a door. Some of you all seen that? A lot of times this is used in reference to, uh, to salvation. But that's not the context of what's actually being said here. What's Jesus doing? He's actually knocking on the door of the church, so to speak, calling them to what? Look at verse 19. What's he calling them to? Be zealous and what? Repent. So that's what he's doing. So this is a call by Jesus in love, going to them, saying, I, I love you. I'm coming to you in discipline. Repent. And so this, this is a call. Jesus knocking there is a picture of him calling them to repent, to turn from what they have done. And so verse 18 then tells them what they are to do, how they repent. So listen again. Verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. So get gold from him that's refined so you can be rich. White garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And so what Jesus does here is he takes concepts that are very close to the church that they would understand to remind them, to show them how they need to repent. So I've already mentioned to you that this is a city that's exceedingly wealthy. One of the wealthiest of all the cities that we've read about. And so what he does is he says to them, I, I counsel you. You think you're rich? Here's what you need, actually. You need to buy from me gold that's refined by fire. And so what he's giving them here is a picture of them not pursuing the wealth of the world and the wealth of what they can get there in Laodicea, but for them to pursue after the, what is real wealth. That's the things of God. Pursue after real wealth, which is the things of God. He tells them to to buy from him white garments so they can cover the shame of their nakedness. In fact, this city, one of the things that they received their wealth from was black wool. They had the finest black wool of the region, so people would flock to there to get some of their garments because they had this beautiful black wool that they could make clothes out of. And so what Jesus does is he says, forget about the black wool that's given you this wealth. I counsel you to buy from me white garments. Now obviously, I think this symbolizes purity. So stop seeking after all the things that you're seeking after in in the city. And seek after me. Seek after purity of life for me. So it's a call here by them to put on this white garment. It's a call for them to repent. Then he he mentions this eye salve so they could see. This city was actually known for a medical community that was just a little bit north of the city. There was a huge medical community, and actually, one of the things that that medical community was known for was an eye salve that they could put on eyes that would make them be able to uh, to, to see better and to fix the hurts that were in their eyes. It's known as Phrygian powder, if you want to write that down. So they actually had this salve, but what did what did the what did the church at Laodicea think about themselves? You remember how did they see themselves? They saw themselves as rich, as wealthy, and in need of nothing. These are the words that Jesus said. So what he's doing is saying, I counsel you to seek rightly. I will give you, I save. I will give you my word so that you can see your true spiritual condition. You need to see the reality of who you are. You really need to see the reality of the problems that you are in right now. And so the good news here is that Christ is coming to them calling them to repentance. And so he is saying, get these things from me. I will give them to you. I love you. I will not, I don't want to see you stay in the situation, the condition that you're in. Come to me, I will forgive you. And so this is the great news that we hear from them. And so in verse 21, he says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne also, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. It's not too late, he says. Turn and repent, be zealous and repent. Buy these strings from me, get this from me. You don't have to continue down this path anymore. He will forgive. And so now, now this, this is where we come to today as a church. This is where we come to as individual believers today. This is, this is the last of the letters of these seven letters to the church at Revelation, to these seven churches mentioned in Revelation. But what we've seen isn't that Christ is just examining the church at Laodicea. He's not just examining the church at Sardis, at Smyrna, and Philadelphia, these other places. What, what Christ is doing is examining us. That's why he says, let the churches hear what the Spirit says. And so this morning, what we are to do is for the churches to hear, for the individual believers to hear. And so, like we said earlier, what, what, I'm, what I think the text is calling us to do is to hold up our lives to the light of the word. Hold up our lives to the light of the word, so the light examines in to expose the sin that's in us. And So what I want us to do is I want us to take some time just just to examine ourselves. Just to examine ourselves by the text. And So what I ask right now, so everybody just, if you would, just bow your heads and, in prayer and I'm going to ask the musicians to come forward. Musicians are going to come forward. You just stay the rest of you stay seated where you are. This is just going to be a time. We've come to the end of these seven letters. We've come to the end of a really difficult letter. A time for us to examine ourselves. So musicians come forward. When you're up here, I ask you just to play quietly for a few minutes. And so I'm going to give you I want to give you three questions for you to examine yourself today. Three questions to examine yourself and and to remember. Remember as you do this, the entire church of Laodicea thought everything was fine. It is possible for some of us or maybe even many of us in here to be missing the true reality of our spiritual condition. Whether that's that we think that we're truly saved and we're not, or that we think that everything is spiritually fine and we're following after Christ, but Christ would actually look at us and say, you're not fine. So in this time, hold your life up to Christ. And so first question to ask yourself. Ask yourself, to what degree am I passionately seeking after Christ? To what degree am I, am I passionately pursuing after Christ? The, the church at Laodicea probably became lukewarm in their works because they became, became lukewarm in following after Christ. So so think to yourself of how how you're seeking Him in prayer and in the Word. To what what degree are you passionately seeking after Christ? Second question. To what degree is the stuff of the world consuming your life? To what degree is the stuff of this world consuming your life? When When we look at the church at Laodicea, it seems that they became more and more like the city around them rather than becoming more and more like Christ. And to be honest, looking at my own life, at my own self, and looking at the rest of the world around me, I think one of, the, one of the most difficult aspects of the Christian life is to not be consumed by this world. Every one of us, every one of us is being impacted by the world to one degree or the other. And so honestly ask yourself, how much is all the stuff of this world? The busyness of your life? The priorities of this world? The, the wealth of this world? How much... How much is it that these things are consuming you? Versus how much is Christ consuming you? The third question is, what are you doing for kingdom impact? Jesus looked at the church at Laodicea, and he said that they were lukewarm in their works. They they weren't like the hot, healing hot springs. They weren't like the refreshing cold waters Instead, the ministry that they were doing, if they were any doing any, was, was nothing. So I think it's a hard question that all of us have to answer. What, what is it that each of us individually are doing for kingdom impact? What, what ministry are we doing? And how, how, is that, how are we being driven for God's glory, for kingdom impact? As you think about these things, Remember also the depth of the love of Christ. That as He says these things, He says these things saying, I speak this in love. So hear and feel and know the love of Christ whatever your situation is. And hear Him calling to all of us to repent and love and turn to Him this morning. So let's stand together this morning ask you As you stand, let's sing this song and you respond as God is working, whether it's right where you are, whether you're going to come pray here, whether you're going to come talk to me or another pastor or somebody else, you respond and let's pray this song as part of a prayer that God will change our hearts.